Top Tier Soccer Show with your hosts, Mark Davis and Travis Hill. Welcome, welcome to the Top Tier Soccer Show. Today we are back with part two of our interview with former Watford captain Jay Demerit. If you haven't listened to part one of this interview, I highly suggest you go back. There, he tells us all about his journey from Wisconsin to England and how he was able to work his way up from the 12th division all the way to club captain in the Premier League. I also want to remind you that we just launched another collection of training activities. In 24 Elite Training Exercises Part 2, we've gathered the best games, drills, and activities from the top coaches in world football. In this collection, we have activities from Jurgen Klopp, Carlo Ancelotti, Mikel Arteta, Julian Lopetegui, Antonio Conte, and more. All with easy-to-understand descriptions and beautiful graphics. If you want to level up your training sessions, check it out on TopTierSoccerShow.com. Thanks. Let's get to the episode. Talk about talk about the, the the season that you guys got promoted. Obviously, uh, the the final outcome is maybe what everyone sees. You know, you scoring the the first goal to, to kind of propel Watford and becoming player of the match. Uh, to to you guys, you know, promoting to the Premier League. Uh, I would love to hear about that season, and then I would love to hear about what it was like in Watford after you guys got promoted at least for like a couple weeks because because then there's that trend right yay i'm in the championship we get promoted now it's that new trend okay congratulations jay you're 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 now a professional congratulations you're playing in the premier league now it's that okay now how do i stay in the premier league how do we do this how do we do that but i would love to hear about that season going into that because you guys were fighting relegation you guys were fighting relegation to now being promoted. I mean, what a what an insane. I mean, again, they they made a documentary about you, but what an insane, <laughs> what an insane process that must have been. Yeah, and, and again, I think it, for me, walking into year two again, happy to be there, happy to have so many games in my first year as a rookie. Again, appreciating that opportunity, but still having a wide open idea of like, I still got a lot of things to work on. I needed a lot to improve to stay here. And again, I, 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 my contract had doubled at the end of that season. I now go was making $50,000, you know, a year. Again, no LeBron contract here, but again, a whole new opportunity. And it was a three year deal. So I, I, I signed three contracts in my first season because of this mindset. By the end of that first season, I got a deal. And as we started the new season, and I was starting, again, as a Watford second year. They were like, okay, we got to sell this guy up a little bit more. And then again, I saw, again, you signed three contracts in your first year and a half. It means you're doing something right. It doesn't mean I'm a multi-million dollar person that can settle now. It just means I'm getting better. It just means that you keep doing what you're doing. And so that was where my mindset was that second season. But I think that I met a manager that really became my first true influence as to how good I could be. And so A.D. Boothroyd got hired. Um he was a young he was the youngest manager in the league 34 years old he was a youth director at Leeds so he came in as someone with no professional experience just like I did so I felt a really commonality within him I really liked him we saw eye to eye on a lot of things we were both young and hungry and and didn't really understand what it was yet but we both were willing to try to understand it do the work to that was required to do so and so we really created a connection and he was a really great manager in the man management side of life and People always say that, oh, Pep Guardiola is he's just a great man manager. What does that mean is that he, he subjects 
every person has its own thing. Yes, he gets to manage the best players in the world, but that's really hard because you got to manage ego. You got to earn. You got to learn which player you got to pump tires. You got to learn which player needs to kick up his butt. You got to learn which player needs, um, you know, to be a part of something that's bigger than him. You got to look at the player that needs that. I don't want to be bigger than me. I'm an ego guy, and you need to go score goals because this is your job in this team. Because this is what this guy thinks. This is man management doesn't mean that one any over the other is the right it's just having the ability as a manager to understand what those pieces are and so he was a first manager that really made me understand that and he did this thing every every after every training session he grabbed one player put his arm around him and walk him around the field training's over but it was a communication exercise to say hey what do you want to get into this this is what i think as the coach you will bring to the table right now what are things as a collective we can improve on i thought your performance last week could have been better i thought your performance last week was rock star I thought you were in everyone's faces. I thought you were, you know, again, that's man management. So every week that got better. And every week a new player brought more to the table. So by the end of that season, we weren't a relegation favorite. We were in the playoff spots. And all of us as individuals were running on our own cylinders. But as a group, we knew we were all together. And that was good management. That's a good manager. That is someone that understands the team perspective, but manages each part individually. And so that was the first time as a pro that I learned what that's like to have a good boss, to know what inspiration was and, and how you can use your teammates to, while still feeling like what you bring to the team is unique. And so that was the coach. He did that, but he empowered the players as individuals to believe in that. And so by the end of that season, we were running on all cylinders. And again, I was too. And I was believing I could be this player that could be Premier League worthy. And so by the end of that season, we made the playoffs. We made the playoff final in front of 78,000 people in front of a neutral stadium. Again, funny enough, we played against Leeds, who yeah. was the team that the youth director came from. So he had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder to say, like, hey, I'm going to beat my old team. We all had come from so many different stories. And, and I was young and hungry to say, hey, I'm getting ready. I'm, I want to be in that spotlight. Like, I'm ready to do so. I trained hard over the last three years to make it. I deserve this opportunity. and I'm going to make the most of it. And that's what happened in that playoff final. We all had our jobs. We were a well-oiled machine. We knew what we were all bringing to the table. I knew on quarter kicks I'd go up there. I also know that they would have done their scouting report. So if you look at that first goal, you can see the guy marking me. His name is Rob Hulse, famously the only player that's ever gotten me sent off. <laughs> so maybe I had a little bit of thing for him too. But I, I see him walking to the first post because that's my run. So they would have done their research, but I know that he's knowing that. So again, I get smart and I go, I'm not going to go to the first post. She's, she's already walking there. I'm going to fake like I am, wrap around the back. And sure enough, Ashley Young, uh, everyone knows who that is, you know, English international, Inter now, played for Man United. He was a 19-year-old Watford player at the time, whipping in great free kicks like he still does now. And whipped one right to the back post. I came storming in, again, making the most of my opportunity. And uh, and sure enough, you know, again, you get the bang on your head. You feel this roar of the crowd, 78,000 people going crazy. And uh, and then we end up beating lead 3-0. And, and, and I... Uh, as that final whistle blows, we're running around, and I, this camera comes and finds me on the field, and I get presented to the game ball in a, in a, in a glass case. It says "Man of the Match, Leeds United," you know, Leeds Watford, Premier League, you know, Premier League bound, basically. And there I am on the field, giving an interview in my second season pro in front of the whole team, but in front of the whole world. And and again, I, it's funny. I, I posted that interview uh, last week on the 10th anniversary of that game, and I had never heard of it. I'd never watched it. And for, for what I said, and again, if you guys are listening, you should watch it because what I said really made myself proud because it wasn't, it was like this whole idea of like, it took 
everybody to get me to this point, including my coach to believe me, to my parents that gave me a support system who are now in the stands. To, again, as a young pro, to say the things that I said, again, just gave me confidence to say that all of the pieces were there to create a lifelong of mindset of success. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, I made it, you know, fuck you do guys that didn't <laughs> pick me. Fuck you guys that didn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. I could have said that. If, if I'm doing things for the wrong reasons, that's what I would have said. But I didn't. I said, I took a long people, a lot of people and a lot of work to get to this point. It took a lot of people that believed in me when I did, you know, in, in myself. You know, it took people to take chances on me, to give me support. You know, and today this is for them and the players that were along with me today and the manager that believed in me to give me this opportunity. And that was kind of thing, you know, there, and then there I was. I was a Premier League player. And now I can start to think about how to be a national team player. Now I can start to think about how I'm going to go play for the U.S. And so funnily enough, I am in a bar in Chicago in 2006 watching the U.S. national team play against all the players I'm going to play against in the World Cup in two, or in, in the Premier League in a month. And I'm enjoying that that bar scene in Chicago with all my college friends that I played soccer with two years after I left that place, knowing that maybe in four years' time, I'll play in a World Cup. And that's where my new goal set in 2006 in Chicago, watching a bar with my college student friends that were still playing for UIC, going, in four years' time, that's my new goal. I want to be on that TV. And that's what happened. You know, I'm playing in the Premier League. I'm playing against those players, and I'm starting to get a reputation. And then that year, as a 27-year-old American, I got my first opportunity, and Bob called, Bob Bradley called me and said, we've been watching you now for the last couple of years. I think you're ready to come in and try to be a U.S. national team player. And so in a long-winded question, that is what created that opportunity. Uh, absolutely amazing, Jay. Uh, first cap, who was it against? Uh, what was that like? You know, what, just just real quick, what was that like? Um, well, it was against Guatemala, uh, famously playing against a kid I played with at UIC. He was a Guatemalan kid. So there was kind of a special little thing there that, you know, we were playing against each other. Both of us had come from different places. So that was kind of cool. Um, again, my dad flew down to Texas. He was down in Dallas. And, um, yeah, I, I guess, again, the, the greatest moment you could ever have is, is when you put your hand on your heart and you, and you get to hear that Star Spangled Banner wearing those, wearing your team's colors. You know what I mean? Like that moment is, is by far the best you could ever have because there's there's a thing that's bigger than yourself. When you hear your, you know, there's a representation that's involved when you, and you hear your national anthem and you're wearing your team's colors. And it's like it, 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 the purpose becomes greater and, and it, because it's not you anymore. It's, it's not even your club. It's your country. So, it, again, it's, it's like this whole idea of, 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 of things that mean something so much more than just what you what you bring. And, and so that's that that feeling is, is, is the greatest feeling you can ever have on a soccer field. And that heightens the more important that game becomes. So as that moment what, what became special to say you can now say you've played for your country, but then again, that, that provides a new purpose and a new mentality to say, okay, now I want to do this on the biggest stage. Now I want to do this against the best teams. And so that was my new goal. I, I sat on the bench for a year and a half behind Boca Negra and, and Gooch. You know, again, I knew that feeling. I knew what that was like to be new to a team. I knew you got to work your way into a team. So that mindset, I had been in a bunch of different times in a bunch of different places. So that, again, it was easy for me to go back into that and go, okay, I'm still starting at Watford. I am now the captain at Watford. But yet I'm sitting now. I'm now I'm a bench player. So again, it's like you can take that as a negative, or you can say I'm still a club professional. I'm a captain of my team, and now I got to work my way in with the same mindset that I did for that team. So that's where that went, and, and it was like, okay, now it took me two years, 
But again, the same mindset as two years, we win the Gold Cup, Bocanegra lifts the trophy, but he gets injured in that game. And now it's 2009. We, we are professional. You know, we win the Gold Cup in 2007. I don't really play much of a part other than the group game. 2008, I play a little bit, but not much. In 2009, uh, I'm now get thrust into the Confederations Cup. We win the Gold Cup. I play one game in that. Again, I'm still not a U.S. No one in America really knows who I am. They love my story, but they haven't seen me play. They see me play against Cuba, and we win 4-0. And it's like, oh, Demerit played okay. He gets a 7. You know, you know what I mean? It's like, that's kind of what it was like. But now, all of a sudden, Bocanegra gets injured. We're on our way to South Africa, and our first three games are Brazil, Egypt, and Italy. And I know I'm going to play against the best guys in the world. And I'm like, oh, God, here we go. But again, I know what that feeling's like. I know what I'm capable of. I know I've been picked to be a part of that 23-man roster. Why wouldn't I go in that confidence? Don't be scared. You know, you get to be that. You get to do those things. And that carried down through the tunnels I was walking out in against Manchester United and Chelsea. They're also the tunnels you're walking out in the biggest tournaments in the world against Brazil. Somebody else picks you to do that. Somebody else says you're good enough. So why don't you have the confidence to go and be that? So as I started playing against those big games and those big teams... That's what I started to do from the tunnel side. It's not say, I don't belong here. Oh, my God, it took me so long to get here. I should just enjoy the moment. It's like, for me, it was always like, I get to be in this moment, so I'm going to make the most of it. I get to go and kick Ronaldo, so go kick him. Don't sit here and be like, oh, that's Ronaldo. It's, he's really good looking. Don't get me wrong. That put me in a good mindset to do so. I looked across at those guys, and I was like, holy crap. I get to, I get to go kick this guy? <laughs> Let's go kick him. You know what I mean? Let's go Let's go make him miserable. Let's go see. Let's go test their reputation. I know that dude's the best player in the world. And that went into the England game in our first game of the World Cup. Wayne Rooney was the Premier League player of the year that year, i.e. the best player in the world. I know he's my mark because I know Gooch doesn't want to run around with that guy all day. Gooch wants to wrestle with Emil Heskey, the big forward that played for England. And I knew these those guys would be stars. So I knew the responsibility, and Bob Bradley famously says this in the documentary, we knew that Jay's responsibility would be to mark him. Now, do I get scared at that opportunity? That makes you a little bit nervous. But I turn that nerve into excitement. I turn that tunnel mentality into I get to be the one in the tunnel. I get to be the guy that gets to go and test that dude and test that reputation. You're the best in the world? Great. Let's see. Let's do it. I got I got cleats just like you do. I got shin pads on just like you do. I got elbows just like you do. I love it. Now what are you going to do? Go test that. Go see what happens. And if you watch that game, Go watch the England national team game and see how Jaden Mayer did against the best player in the world. And again, that's not my own confidence in all really good. Just watch it. Again, it's just it's just the idea of doing what you can and making the most out of your opportunity. And that opportunity doesn't get any bigger, but it doesn't change the mindset to walk out in that field and be capable of doing it. I love it. I think the 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 game that the the whole nation knows Jay Demerit in my opinion is US versus Spain in the semifinals in the Confederations Cup. That's the game where people, you know, it, it, I think it becomes very common to see a demerit jersey in a stadium after that game and how you and the back four played in that game and just I mean talk a little bit about I mean Spain's form. They were they were the top of the top of the world. And they continue to be the top of the top of the world as well. And they have that, they have that loss. And uh, I've heard in interviews, I've heard Bob talk about this as well, Bob Bradley, saying, that, oh, yeah, the, 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 they didn't care about winning. They sure as hell cared about winning that game. And you guys, you guys took it to them. And you were, 
I, I feel like that was your moment that Americans really got behind Jay Demerit to push you, you know, into the 2010 World Cup as well. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I called that the Jay Demerit coming out party. That was when people finally understood, like, finally knew who I was, at least as a player. They knew my story. They knew how I got there. But they didn't really, re- you know, I'm not going to say they didn't respect that. But, again, it took those moments. And again, Snap and Stain in Spain's 35-game win streak was a big deal. You know, and again, and, and as a team, and I think this was Bob Bradley's greatest trait, was that he really he really understood each part. Again, it goes back to the man management or what each player brings to the table. And I think Bob was a, a, a tactician and the greatest right of saying, and I, I don't know if you remember this, but Bocanegra was fit after the Egypt game. So he could have slid right back in and sat next to Gooch and Bornstein could have came on the left where he was. But Bob stuck with me because he knew that if he put Bocanegra left, and Gucci and I were working so well together, like we had done, we had a chance. And again, Torundolo, in my opinion, the best right back that's ever played for the U.S. national team. You know, our back five did its jobs, and we were all so different, but we were all like those dogged, like, you know, willing to step up for anything but work well together kind of thing. Tim, again, made some incredible saves. You put a guy like me against a Fernando Torres and a David Villa, I can match them athletically. I can match them sprint-wise. I can match them competitively. I can match their little runs in behind me. As long as Rico and Michael are closing the space on Xavi and, and, and Iniesta in front of us, we can do this. We can, you know, we can condense the space. Josie can hold the ball up, which he did, because he had a good part on that to be a big, strong guy to stand up against the, you know, the guys like Puyol or, uh, or Pique, who, again, Pique one of the best guys from the ball, but Josie, how can you affect him physically? How can you, again, remember that first goal? Yeah. He turns, he famously turns, uses his muscle, his strengths. Again, Bob assembled that group that all of us did our jobs, and that's teamwork 101. And, and, and again, that, that I think for me, and those big performances against teams like that, that's what we did the best. And that team itself, that 2009-2010 team, had that character, grit. We all knew as individuals what we brought to the table, but we loved playing with each other. And again, I think we lost that in the U.S. national team. We because again, I think, you know, we didn't. You know, it was like just different parts that all get to be that thing and go out and play. It wasn't like we're all different parts, but together we're stronger. We'll go kill anybody. You know, that's our mindset. That's what we was, and that's what we did. You know, we beat teams like Spain. We all we should have beat Brazil. You know, best teams in the world. And again, we did that with confidence because we deserve, we thought we could, not because we're happy to be here. You know I mean, I think that team personified that mindset, and I think that showed in the, you know, the big wins that we had over those two years. And I think that's really the best thing that all of us brought to that table in that team. Starting all four games in the 2010 World Cup, obviously the pinnacle of that World Cup is you know Donovan's tap in and just how Tim Howard starts that starts that counter attack against Algeria. Uh, that game was crazy, uh, and, and, and and very well could have been you know, 1-0 early for Algeria, and then they didn't get an opportunity probably until stoppage time. It could have been 5-1 U.S. Um, Talk a little bit about that and just kind of the that mentality of that group. I I mean, I felt like that group could have gone very far, but that game specifically is is one of the best soccer moments in U.S. soccer history. Yeah, I think that's burned in the lore of U.S. soccer, even fandom. You know, like again, I, I have conversations. Everyone knows where they were in that moment, and, and again, that that says it all. It says everything. And you know, to be on the field for that again, we were a team that knew exactly what each part was required, knew what we were doing. We knew that if we won that game, we'd win the group, and that 
for us was the driver. We knew that at 90 second minute, it didn't matter what it took. And, you know, famously in that game, third minute, I get my tongue, elbow, I'm playing with a half a tongue for 90 second, 92 minutes. And you can see I have like a blood mustache for any picture you see from Jaden Mart Algeria. But I'm not coming out. I'm not going to get that thing stitched up. You know what I mean? But again, that's just me doing what I should do because that's me. That's That was my player. That's who I was. That's who I am. So I know what I bring. I'm not going to let that, you know, maybe that filters down into toughness. Like, let's fuck, you know, let's go. Who cares? I can spit blood. You know, you guys, you guys know you can run that wing for an extra time. You know what I mean? Again, I'm not saying that was my night going. I'm saying that was my part that I needed to play. And that's what I did. And that's what Tim did. And that's what Landon did by being the player. That's what Clint did by being brave enough to take down that challenge as the ball came in from that cross. Clint Dempsey being the gritty, ballsy guy that he was. He didn't. He could have stepped away from that and let the keeper hit that and grab it. And then the keeper holds that on and 90-second minute, we're all tied and I don't know. But Clint doesn't. He hits that guy because that's what Clint, Clint does. Ball pops out. Landon Donovan does what Landon Donovan does. He taps it in left, left corner, cool as a cucumber. And, you know, everything happens for for that kind of reason. And, and you know, it was just kind of one of those games where, again, history is made. Our goal was to be the first U.S. team to win the group. We did that. And now it's, again, I'm getting my tongue stitched up in the locker room after the game. I came and talked to my tongue too. And, you know, Bill Clinton comes in with coolers full of beers and we're having beers with presidents. And you don't create those moments by, again, playing a part do that because everyone's playing their part and that's what happens when everyone plays their part and keeps the keeps the vision as we can do this and so those moments for me are, are the great ones because all the pieces fit for all the right reasons so y- you've been fighting your entire career you know playing 12th division football playing third you know getting on trial third division getting to train with Watford and now Playing, playing in a World Cup, Confederations Cup final, and now the Vancouver Whitecaps. You become, you know, you're always kind of looking up. And now the Whitecaps, we want Jay. This is this is our guy. This is the first player we want to bring in in the organization. How different was that from a mentality standpoint? Not 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 necessarily playing in North America or anything else, but it's a completely different mentality now. You you you're fighting for your life. You're fighting to be inside the 11. You're fighting inside to even, you know, be inside the 18. And now you have an entire organization, an entire city that says, this is the guy that we want to start the organization with. Talk to me a little bit about that different. I mean, that has to be a different mentality going into that. Yeah, and, you know, and again, I think for me, how you how I weighed up that situation, again, I, I, I had other opportunities to stay in Europe. Again, I had just finished the World Cup. I had played a game of the World Cup. There were offers, but... For me, again, I looked at my story. Again, I always talk about this owning your story. And in owning your story is just understanding who you are and what you're bringing to the table. And that always changes and evolves. It doesn't. But again, when you know, when you're conscious of self, you know what your next move should be because you're weighing up all those options. My options to stay in Europe were mainly money based. Yeah, I can make more money. I can go play for a club. But the opportunity to be the role that I had earned. I didn't have it in any of the opportunities in Europe. It was, oh, I'm going to go play behind, you know, Celtic, for instance, was an example. I could have gone play for Celtic. They had two guys in front of me that they were going to be their starters. I could go sit on the bench, make more money, play for a big club like Celtic. And that was a great opportunity. But at the end of the day, I had learned in, in a leadership role. I had relished what that role was. I had created an incredible – I had played 200-plus games for one club in, in Europe – 
I want, I, you know, I, I had a lot of ties to Watford. I didn't want to walk away from the loyalty of that. I'm a kid from Green Bay, Wisconsin, that understands what loyalty and sport is. I had a great relationship with the community. I didn't want to go play for Stoke and be in competition with Watford so I could make more money. It didn't make any sense to me. So, again, I was like, okay, opportunities are this. I'm a kid that walked to England. I didn't have any professional experience in America or in North America. I want. I was 30. I didn't want to be the 35-year-old dude that came back to America just to get a paycheck in the end, you know, because that's what players were doing at 34, 35. And I was like, I was 30. I had just played in a World Cup. I had an opportunity to come and be a leader, the voice, the first signing of a franchise. And for me, that outweighed the opportunity and the money uh, to go and do that other thing. And, and again, I relished in the leadership roles that Watford had presented me. I really enjoyed that role. And then I could use it now to go and be the first signing of an MLS franchise and build it from a franchise perspective. For me, that outweighed everything. Yeah. that, that That's amazing. And, and I always... Uh... I've always appreciated that about your your whole story is going back to you know the United States where most people say okay I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the extra money that, that's great leadership I mean you we we've talked about leadership um, even before this call we talked about leadership it, leadership 100% can be a trait that can be learned it can be something that you can grow into leadership you've been captains in so many in so many uh, of your different environments, how can it be learned? And what what should kids be doing? If a college kid's listening to this, if a, if, a, if a U16 kid's listening to this, or if a mom and dad are listening to this in their car and they have kids, how can leadership be, how can this be something that you can learn? Well, that's a good question. I totally agree with that. You know, I think some, some kids, people, again, even adults, so again, nurture is 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 something that is always learned. Nature, again, what we're like, also just as valid. Some people want to step into leadership roles because they feel like it naturally is that role. But I totally agree with you. And, and, and again, I would say, I guess this would be the answer: is that what I learned about leadership is that uh, leadership is evolutionary. It, it evolves always. And again, first, in order to lead, you have to. First, be confident in your be confident in yourself enough to relate to others. People don't want to listen to you if if you bring a mindset that's about you. They don't. They don't want to listen to you. They might agree with you, but if you can't relate to them in a way, it's hard. It's harder. Put it that way. Because if I'm the guy that scores all the goals and I wear the captain's armband because of that, and I'm like bring an ego to the group how am i going to tell the guy on the bench that, that being on the bench is something you need to do right now as you continue to get better and i'll work on, on trying to get better with you and i think that you should do this to get better and then maybe you'll start for me that's relation of being what it's like to sit on the bench i know what it's like to try to get better when no one else is watching and sitting on the bench to do so you know what i learned about my leadership i've been through a lot of different things that allowed me to be relatable to my teammates and therefore do a better job in leading the group you know but if you've only been the person that does this and has only succeeded and has never done anything else it's harder to lead so my 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 first step is how how do how do you as the as the leader become relatable and again whether that's skill sets that you learn by leading again i'm going to go talk to this guy in this way that i've never learned because i read a leadership book about how to how to approach your your your, your fellow people Again, I'm doing my learning on my own how to be a better leader. Now I'm applying this to the people that I'm trying to lead. 
if you break it down what leadership is, it's that you are trying to lead people to believe in what you believe in, to do what you say. That's leadership. And it's in, in the finite version of what it is. But if I'm coming in in an ego position, or if I'm already saying I'm better than you because I score goals and you can't, very rarely is that person going to listen to you or at least have respect enough for them to, to, to be on your page. So I think the first thing that a leader has to do is step in with the, with the mindset of, I am here to offer a my own experience and whatever that is again everyone's experience is different to what you bring to the table and again you as the coach or you as the leader in your world how do you pick your leaders underneath you again is that relationship that you've created with them is this a relationship that you guys are building you know is that communicated as to say i'm picking you as captain because i want i like you as a leader because of this and again that's a team environment even though leadership is technically the guy with the armband. Technically, that's, you know, and again, that's different. So, again, I always understood that I was the armband, but I also understood that I, that guy's not going to listen to me if I'm not relating to him in a certain way or I'm not knowing who that person is and that person's being heard. Again, we're talking about this right now. There's people that will rebel because they're not being heard. So the whole idea is leadership is about making sure people are heard and making sure that you as the leader are doing what you can to get the most out of that person. And again, if I don't know who that person is because I've never talked to them, I've never communicated with them, or I'm not actually put my arm around it and understanding what their needs are or what they think they bring to the table, then my leadership job is actually being only halfway. I'm just bringing what I bring to the table, and I'm not using leadership. Leadership, by the way you play, is a form of leadership. So that, as a leader, is the first thing you have to control. I got the captaincy, to, and I love telling this story to kids and people and leaders too, is I got my captaincy taken away my first year at Watford because I wasn't ready for it. It was too heavy. His famous words, A.D. Guthrie's famous words were, I think the armband's too heavy for you right now. And what that meant was, is that I was, I was too busy worrying about what everyone else wanted and my performances were lacking. I wasn't the player that I was because I was trying to bring this guy in and over-communicate to this guy because I thought my job as a leader was to make sure all those guys did their jobs. And that's true, but it's step two. The first thing the leader does is show my example that I should be the one that people are listening to. So that's based on my performances. That's what I can control. I can control my performance. And then from that, if I'm the good player, if I'm the one that's looking tough and communicating my effort because I'm making tackles and I'm winning headers and I'm being the guy that I'm supposed to be, now I can project that leadership. But if I'm missing tackles, I'm missing my mark, and they're, not, they're up 1-0 because I'm too busy worrying about Jim's mark because I'm trying to be a leader – instead of trying to empower Jim to do his job, I'm not doing a good job as a leader. I'm not. So it doesn't make me, so that's what I started to learn about leadership. It's like, first take care of what you gotta take care of, be that example. From that, you can start to now bring other people in to what the team environment is, what we expect as a group, working with my manager or my coach to make sure that those messages are clear from the player's perspective and the manager's perspective. And then I become the bridge of those two things. Johnny's pissed because he's not starting. And I'm and he's pissed off at me because he's projecting his anger at the coach. He's going, oh, screw that guy. He doesn't even like me. And he's on the bench. And he's mad at the coach. Coach is going, I go talk to Johnny if you want. But I'm going, no, I'll talk to Johnny. That's my job as the leader. You continue to be the coach that picks the guys. That needs to be a part of this. And we know that if the coach is picking only 11, so, hey, I need to go relate to that guy and go, oh, I know what it's like to be on the bench. 
I know what it's like, but at the end of the day, you're still part of this 23-man group. Let's stay positive of the fact that you're still got a contract. You're getting paid to play soccer every day. You are should be angry at him. He only has the chance to pick 11. The fact that you're not in it, it shouldn't be projected at him. It should be projected at you. But if I can't, if I can't communicate that in a way that that guy needs, again, is the guy that needs to kick up the butt or is the guy that needs the arm around the shoulder to be like, dude, I know what it's like to not play. I know what it's like to sit on the bench. Or if it's a, I watched you play three games ago and you were a fire out there. I watched you hit four out of four and you scored a goal. And then the last three games, you didn't do that. And that's why you're not starting. That's accountability. But if coach doesn't need to yell at you to do that, I, as a, someone that's relatable as a leader, can explain that. And I can show you how, based on your own performances, which allows you to go back into yourself and go, finally, okay, I can do more. I should take this in. This isn't his fault. It's mine. So leadership comes from a lot of those different ways. And, 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 and I learned how to do that, A, by having conversations. Getting out of my shell as the leader to have more conversations because I realized as a leader, communication is key. But I also know that by my own experience, I became relatable in a lot of different ways. And that is the reason, again, because I've asked my former coaches, why seven of the 10 years I played, I got chosen captain of that club. Somebody chose me. I didn't choose myself. They chose me. Why? And I've asked that question to the managers that chose me. And it was mainly because, A, you were a consistent personality. You weren't a leader that came in. Again, we all have bosses. You know the boss that comes in and one day he's your best friend and the next day he's talking about you behind your back that's not leadership that's not that's not. i wasn't a guy that did that so again that was a consistency in self so that's one reason why i got picked. number two was the relation i had been on a bench i played in a world cup i, I and everything in between i walked and played in front of three people in a cow in a park as a 23 year old that had no chance i make 40 bucks a game i have a college degree in design I have creative background. I know what it's like to come from a support system that supports. I have good parents. So as kids that I was, as, I, as, as players I was playing with started to have children, I started to understand what good parenting was and how timing was that. And, you know, all those things matter because all those things are information that I can use to relate to the people I'm trying to lead. And so within that, it becomes this whole idea of how do I do that better as the leader? How do I have an open mindset to make sure that those people are heard? And how do I make sure that as a leader, I can help create a platform with the support systems that are with me, i.e. the club, the manager, and the fans. If I'm building all those bridges because I'm listening to the fans about what they want, I'm listening to the administration as to the type of team or the manager that we want to be. And then within those players' parts, I'm managing those on a man-to-man basis while still holding my performances accountable. Now I'm really creating that whole holistic version of what I believe leadership is. I love it, Jay. Jay, how do how do people get involved in uh, in your in what you have going on? Really amazing, and I I, I almost can guarantee you there's going to be people after listening to this podcast and say, all right, I don't live in Vancouver, maybe I can't go to a day camp, but I want to get involved. How how does someone get involved right now? Well, again, as the summer goes on, we're going to start working on the app. So again, there's going to be learning learning uh, cur- curriculums over time through through Rise and Shine. Um, first things first, uh, again, go to the bio in my Instagram profile and watch the movie. If you haven't watched Rise and Shine, you don't just learn about me. You learn about the mindset that's required to do things that people think you can't do. And, 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 and again, that's a belief story. And that's why Rise and Shine is much bigger than a soccer story. It's not. It's a youth program and a believe in it. It's a rocky story that was based on soccer. 
it's a life story about how you believe in yourself to go and achieve things that you think you can. And there's a formula to that. And the Rise and Shine formula is being built. It's already in practice in a lot of different ways. Again, all come down to you and we'll do, we'll do a Rise and Shine camp and we'll bring in some awesome mentors in a bunch of different ways. And we'll create that mindset over a day or two and we'll get the kids that want this mindset and we'll create it in a lot of different ways because we can sit there, we can show them. We don't just tell them, we show them. And then they have to practice that mindset. And then they're going to show themselves by practicing that mindset that it actually works if you apply. But right now, we're in a position where everyone's talking a lot. And kids are believing things they believe on the internet instead of actually doing them themselves to understand if they are that or not. So, again, the idea of practice is that. They start practicing. How do you practice? You take people's information and you apply in a lot of different ways. Either it's how do you train on your own, like I did when I knew I had to become a pro from a college pro, pro to a, a real pro. I knew that I had to bend my ball in a wall in a neighborhood that I didn't understand. And I, I had to go learn that stuff by getting out of my house and doing it and not just thinking about it. You got to go do that stuff. But you got to do it, and that takes bravery. It takes self-confidence. It takes you know, the ability to listen to other people. It, it takes ability to ask questions when you don't want to or you feel uncomfortable. You know, again, going asking a coach about how, what you suck at isn't fun. It's much easier to go talk about the goal you scored because that's easy. It makes you popular. What doesn't make you popular is when you have the chance, you miss the penalty in the 90th minute. But if you got the balls to go take penalties for the next two months and ask, you know, so when that opportunity comes again, you slot it right in the top corner and you win the game. That's application, practice, and now a new mindset based on that failure. That's the process. That's the process we all need to go through in a lot of different ways to create the confidence to go and achieve things that people think you can. But again, it starts with practice and it starts with the mindset to ask, to be brave, to feel humility, to feel like you suck, to feel like you're good, to feel like you don't know how to talk to somebody, but I've just had a conversation I've never had in my life before. All of those things are things that we can do and practice in order to create the mindset required to do whatever you want. Jay, this has been absolutely amazing. Uh, stay on stay on after I, I push pause here for a second. I want to talk to you about something real quick. But this has been Jay Demerit. Uh, check, out, check out the movie if you haven't. Uh, Jay, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I think this is going to you know, really, really benefit a lot of people and, and, and just really appreciate you, man. My pleasure.